Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. Uh, We're wrapping up today our series called Everyday Disciple, and uh, this is week five, and today we're going to be talking about this idea of biblical hospitality. And uh, to do so, um, I want to start by asking you a very simple question. Think with me for a moment. What is the most shocking thing that you've ever walked into in your house? Now, don't shout it out because that could be dangerous. Uh, But just think for a moment. What's the most dangerous or shocking thing you've walked into your house to see? For me, specifically, it was a homeless man sitting in my living room eating food from my pantry. Yeah. Now, I can say with a fair degree of certainty that at this age in my life, there's a lot of things that I could walk into in my home and not really be that surprised or shocked. It's one of the things that comes with being a pastor. However, at that point in my mid-twenties, walking in and finding a stranger in my living room, eating my food was indeed shocking. And as I stood there trying to make sense of this scene that was unfolding before me, I'm sure my mouth just agape, all I could utter to this man was, are you eating my club crackers? <laughs> and he was. He was eating my club crackers. And so at the time, I was living um, in Golden, Colorado with four different roommates. And one of those roommates, who was perhaps uh, a little overly zealous in his concern and empathy for those in need, had happened on this particular morning to be going to work and saw a homeless man, and thus invited him to come and stay in our home. And uh, he did so, mind you, unattended. And so when I got word, when I find out and got to the bottom of this and discovered that he had invited this man into our home, I was livid, livid. And I had hours to kind of stew in my anger as I waited for this roommate to get back home. And uh, when he finally did arrive, I vigorously uh, told him all the reasons why I thought he had made a horrible decision. I said to him, you don't know if this man is dangerous. You don't know if this man is abusing drugs. You don't know if this man is stealing stuff from us. And I concluded by saying, and he ate my club crackers. He let me vent for a small amount of time and got everything off my chest. And when I was finished, he stopped and looked at me and he said, Nick, I'm sorry that you feel that way. I saw someone in need and I wanted to be hospitable. It's like a gut punch. I I still feel the pain of that remark in my life today. In, In that moment where he saw need, I saw inconvenience. Where he saw an opportunity to serve, I just counted the cost. And where he saw a situation to perhaps practice selfless hospitality, I saw only my selfish motives. And that day, and even to this day, I've walked away from that situation asking myself the question, why? Why are two people who experience the exact same situation walk away with very differing views on what it means to be hospitable in that moment? I would suggest for you and for a lot of us that in large part it's probably due to the, our notions of hospitality in our Western culture. Let me demonstrate for you what I'm talking about. If for just a moment, uh, close your eyes. 
Now, don't go to sleep. I can see you and I will throw things. I got a bottle of water up here. But just close your eyes for a moment. I, we want to play a word association game. I'm going to say a word and I want you to just screen uh, clip the image that comes to your mind. Okay, you ready? Hospitality. What comes to mind when you hear this word hospitality? Okay, you can open your eyes. Don't go to sleep. Uh, what comes to mind when you hear that word hospitality? If you're like a lot of Americans, if you're like myself, it's probably images that mirror glossy magazine photos, right? It's the immaculate home. It's the exquisite table setting or the gourmet menu. We tend to think of hospitality as being like Martha Stewart on crack, right? Like it's generally these picture-perfect scenes. And with some of these images that they could be applied to biblical hospitality in certain situations, but the truth is, is that when we imagine that as Westerners, we're more specifically imagining entertaining and not hospitality, at least not biblical hospitality. Because it may be surprising for you to know is that when you open up the Bible and begin to look at for uh, hospitality and how it's described, nowhere in the entirety of all of Scripture will you find a instruction or a command to make sure you have really beautiful napkins set on your table when you're practicing hospitality. You won't find the command to have a clean home. So the question then becomes, when, those, when I have these views in my Western mindset of this is what hospitality is, it leads me then to typically be more hospitable to people who I'm familiar with. It leads me to be more hospitable to people typically who I um, share common interests with or have common values with. It leads me to be more hospitable to people who are typically can help me either advance myself either socially, economically, or spiritually. And so the truth is, in other words, when it comes to the situation of the difference between my friend and I back in Golden, Colorado, the difference between our view of hospitality was that he viewed hospitality as involving others, and I looked at hospitality and saw only me. What makes me comfortable? What makes me feel safe? What can I get in return, or what will this cost me if I have to practice this hospitality or be hospitable? And the truth is this, the cold hard facts, man, if I am really honest with you guys this morning, is that oftentimes my hospitality, because of my Western view of what hospitality is, is that oftentimes my hospitality is nothing more than a masquerade for my selfish desires that are thinly veiled as a false sense of altruism towards others. It's just a masquerade for my selfish desires. What am I going to get? What does this cost me? And so if I'm honest with you this morning, church, the truth is, is that sometimes I deal in hospitality with self selfish motives towards others. Now, I know what you might be thinking. If Pastor Nick or Don ever invites me over to their home, <laughs> I'm going to think twice about that, right? Like, what is running through that dude's head when he invites me over? Let me just tell you this, that if we invite you into our house, we do so with pure motives. However, before you get too harsh on me or deal too harshly with me, let me ask you this. I imagine there's probably been times, if you were honest here this morning, that you've practiced hospitality out of selfish motives as well. If you don't believe me, let me give you just a few examples of what I'm talking about. For example, have you ever hosted a party and invited your boss or coworker over to that party 
with the desire or the belief that their presence or the invitation that you extend to them might help to advance your career up the corporate ladder? If so, you're practicing selfish hospitality. This is The next one is a huge one. It happened to me just recently. I'm, I'm sorry, Joe, I'm going to admit this. But have you ever had to help somebody move out of guilt? Because either they had helped you move before, or because you were looking to indebt them to owe you because you knew you were going to be moving sometime in the near future. If so, you've practiced selfish hospitality. Have you ever purposely excluded somebody from your guest list because you knew that that person was socially awkward and they would not fit in with your friends, and so you purposely left them off the list? You've practiced selfish hospitality. Have you ever invited somebody into your home because you knew that that person was financially well off? And you know, man, if they show up, they are going to bring an incredibly expensive food or a really great host gift for you. So i got to have them on the list. If you've ever done that, you've practiced selfish hospitality. Now, why do I say this? I'm not saying that this morning, church, because I'm trying to lump or guilt on you or heap shame on you in this moment. Rather, we shouldn't be surprised when we stop to examine the motive of our hearts and we find that there are selfish motives when it comes to our hospitality towards others. As we already said, church, the American version, the Western notion of hospitality has stolen from us, often with us out even knowing what true hospitality means. And so this morning, I want to exhort you, church. I want to challenge you. I want to wrestle with you this morning to ask the question of this. What does it mean to be hospitable to those as everyday disciples of Jesus? What does that look like as an everyday disciple? The good news, church, is this. We're not the first ones to wrestle with that. Can I get an amen? Amen. In fact, the people in Jesus' day wrestled with this very issue. And it might surprise you to learn that it was actually the religious leaders of Jesus' day who wrestled with this very issue. And so let's turn to Luke chapter 14 in our Bibles or our Bible apps. And I want to invite us to discover together what Jesus has to say about this very crucial issue with regards to being an everyday disciple. In Luke 14, verse 12 through 14, it says this after I get a drink of water. It says, Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your relatives, or your neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, truth be told, we're kind of jumping in at the middle point of this story. And in order to grasp the full flavor of what Jesus is talking about in this moment, we need to understand, again, what is happening culturally at that moment. You see, verse 1 of chapter 14 informs us that Jesus had been invited to a home of a very rich and influential man. But this was not just some rich dude. This guy actually happened to be the leader of a religious sect of Jews known as the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were these religious group of men, Jewish men, who practiced or adhered to a very strict or legalistic view of the law of Moses. 
Now, Jesus, he wasn't a Pharisee, and he certainly wasn't rich. But here's the truth. He was starting to become well-known for as a guy who had some pretty cool party tricks. And so he got invited to this party. I mean, think about it. I mean, if you were in Jesus' day and you heard that he had miraculously brought water into wine, you might start thinking, man, if we run out of Chex Mix, like, we can invite this dude, and not only can he make sure our bowl is full, but we're going to have Chex Mix for days left over after he leaves. And so I'm sure that Jesus got invited to a lot of the parties. And of course, I jest, but in a very roundabout way, it was Jesus' ability to perform the miraculous that was exactly the reason that the Pharisees had extended their hand in hospitality to him. In fact, in verse 1, it says that Jesus was being carefully watched by the Pharisees as they sat and ate. And that uh, word, watched, as you translate that from the Greek, it actually has this idea of continuously watching as a hawk would watch its prey. So, creepy, right? First of all, let's just get that out of the way. Just for a moment, put yourself in Jesus' shoes. You're sitting at a table eating dinner, surrounded by a bunch of old bearded men, and not one has uttered a word to you as you sit there and you eat. And instead, with each bite, they're watching your every move and glaring at you, not saying a word. Awkward? Feel a little creeped out? Yeah, uh, no thanks. I want no piece of that. But the reason that these Pharisees were watching Jesus in this moment was because they were had designs to hoping to catch him breaking the Sabbath law of not working on the Sabbath, which included even work of healing a man who was sick. And they had hoped that if they could catch Jesus breaking this law, that they could accuse him and thus discredit him as a false teacher. But thankfully, Jesus wasn't about to walk into their foolish trap. Nor was Jesus this polite party guest who just went along to get along. Jesus wasn't there because he was afraid to offend anybody. Instead, Jesus takes what the Pharisees are extending to him as a false olive branch of hospitality and turns that back on them and says, I'm going to use this opportunity to instruct you what hospitality looks like. And so he begins by first underscoring for the Pharisees what hospitality is not. It's kind of like that old saying, I don't know what love is, but I know what love's not. Have you ever heard that? The Pharisees didn't know what hospitality was, but Jesus was about to show them what it wasn't. And so let's quickly revisit what he says again, beginning in verse 12. He says, Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, and they invite you back, you will receive your and be repaid. So now, again, imagine, we kind of read uh, over a sanitized version of the Bible. We don't stop to think about what's happening in this moment. But Jesus, it, it's got to be a really awkward moment. Jesus is sitting at this table and is observing all the people who are at this party. And he leans over to the host and says, hey, man, when you're hosting, when you're practicing hospitality, don't, don't invite all these people people, not them. Don't invite these people to the party. And when we hear that, we say, oh, ouch, Jesus, man, that, that's mean, that's cold. But Jesus wasn't trying to be mean. He was using this as an opportunity again to show them what hospitality wasn't. 
And so he's speaking out directly in this moment against the hierarchical culture that existed in first century Palestine on that day. Because in those days, people found themselves divided by specific classes. And if you wanted to get important stuff done, you needed to know who and the right person to talk to. To get ahead, you needed to reach out to people who were socially higher than you so that you could get leverage for your relationship to achieve what it is that you needed or were looking to accomplish. And this is how they would practice hospitality in the first century. In fact, uh, Plutarch, uh, say that with me, Plutarch. Hey, there you go. Um, the Greek biographer and ethicist talked about this very idea when he says that the friend-making power is at the table. And so essentially, these Pharisees and these people in the first century would invite people into their home for the express purpose of getting something back in return. It was a utilitarian investment designed only to increase one's status, power, or influence. In other words, they practice hospitality as, if I scratch your back, you're going to scratch mine. You're going to scratch my back. And so Jesus in this moment, clearly understands the ulterior motives of this Pharisee. He understands that he has invited his friends into this house for one reason. Either they're there because they had already invited him to a party in the past and he was repaying the favor, or he had invited them because he knew that he wanted them to invite, them to, invite him to a party in the future. And regardless of what his reason was in that moment, that form of hospitality is rotten to the core. It stinks with the stench of greed. Such hospitality is not an expression of grace or love. It's riddled with selfishness and pride. In fact, Jesus says, that's not hospitality at all. That's not hospitality at all. You're practicing reciprocity. And as Jesus commands His hosts and us today, when we practice hospitality towards others with, the, in, with our motive set on getting something back in return, we're not practicing hospitality at all. And he says, don't do it. Don't do it, avoid it. Run from it. And now, I know what you're thinking. Because I thought it too the first time I read this verse. Nick, are you saying then that we can't entertain our family and friends? Take a breath. No. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. You can have Thanksgiving with your family this year or depending on who your family is, this might be a great excuse not to have a meal with them. I mean, what better excuse to say than, sorry, uh, in Luke 14, Jesus says not to invite family and friends, including my in-laws. So, um, actually, don't say that. Uh, you'll get me in trouble. Um, Jesus does not prohibit us from entertaining our family and friends. Indeed, fellowship and the breaking of bread with believers, with our friends and our family, has its place within our Christian faith. But what Jesus is warning about specifically in this moment is He's warning us to not uh, entertain only our family and friends, either habitually or exclusively. Because when we do that, when we only seek to entertain friends, oftentimes it has the effect of spiraling into a mutual admiration society where one person always is trying to outdo the other and nobody dares to break the cycle. And I would say that this morning, in a lot of churches, that is how social life happens, how we practice hospitality in a lot of our Christian churches today. But then Jesus doesn't stop there. Jesus doesn't stop. He could have. 
but he doesn't. Jesus makes a promise. Jesus makes a promise in this moment that is a promise you probably are not going to find in one of those God's Promises websites or one of those God's Promises books. Jesus makes a promise that we often don't like to reflect on as Christians. He promises that when we deal in hospitality towards others that is either exclusive or we deal in hospitality towards others that is motivated by selfish gain, we will have received our reward in that very moment. We will receive our reward in full when our motives when we are to seek the applause of men and not the praise of God. Jesus promises in, the, in that moment that we have received our reward from men and we will forsake our eternal reward from our Father. If you can't say ouch, amen, you better say ouch. Jesus says you will forsake your reward. I had a pastor friend of mine who used to say this, you can't get rewarded twice. And according to Jesus' teaching in Luke 14 and elsewhere, he was right. In fact, Jesus teaches a similar thought in Matthew 6.1 where he says, watch out! Don't do good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. The point is that our customary payback hospitality is of no merit to us and no merit to our God that we serve. And so I say that, and Jesus speaks and shares this promise because the Pharisees in that day were the very people, get this, who would walk into the synagogue, into the town square, and had trumpets literally following and blowing behind them as they put their tithe in the offering box, as they were out on the street corners praying, as they were practicing hospitality because they wanted everybody to see how charitable they were in that moment. Now, I can say this. Thankfully, I've never seen anybody blow a horn when they went to put their tithe in the joy box in the back. If you do, Jason and I are going to have words with you, right, Jake? <laughs> However, there does exist within our culture, within our modern day, a social gathering place where it's not uncommon to see Christians tooting their horns, as it were. And I'm talking about social media. Time and time again, I see well-meaning brothers and sisters in Christ posting pictures of themselves, serving on mission trips, serving the homeless, or practicing charity or being hospitable to others in their community. Now, I want to say this. Far be it from me, church, to judge the hearts of those individuals. That's between them and God. But let me offer this warning to you this morning based on Jesus' words in Luke 14. That if you are posting pictures online of your Christian acts of service with any other motive than to bring praise and glory to the honor of our great and mighty God, you are trading your eternal reward for the likes and comments of men. And I do not, church, want to see that for you or for me. I want to see us receive when we stand before God to be able to say, Lord, I've done this all for you, and Him say, well done, good and faithful servant, not you've already been rewarded because you got a like on social media or Facebook. And so our motives in those moments, we would do well to check and ask, are we seeking the praise of God or the likes of men? That's all I'm going to say about that specific subject. But having made clear that hospitality is not exclusive to others and that hospitality is not based on selfish greed, Jesus now turns his attention 
to clearly define what is biblical hospitality, especially for the everyday disciple. And he says this in verse 13 and 14. Let's check out what he says again. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And so Jesus tells the host of this party, invite, don't, don't invite people who can pay you back. Invite people who can't pay you back when you practice hospitality. And it's here that we find our definition of what biblical hospitality looks like. Christ-centered hospitality is motivated by a desire to love and serve others without any thought of return or reward from them. However, as we've already said, Jesus' suggestion in this day would have been economic suicide to the people that were listening to him. Right? We already said that this in first century Palestine, that these social gatherings where people got together as community, this is where business happened. This is where things took, uh, ideas were exchanged, where business took place. And so to invite those who were crippled, who were, blank, who were lame or blind, who were poor, to invite people who could give you back nothing in return was economic suicide. They could not reciprocate what you were offering. And in reality, church, I would say that we're not all that different at times from the Pharisees. If we're honest, most of us, generally speaking, invest in people because of what they can benefit back to us. Not because we're necessarily approaching hospitality because we're wringing our hands thinking about, ooh, what can I get from this person? But generally speaking, we make decisions, we form relationships, and we pursue life in a manner that is beneficial to us first instead of to others. And if you're sitting there saying, oh, that hurts, man, I'll tell you you're in good company. Don and I do that as well. Somebody takes us out to dinner. What's the first thing we think about, right? Oh my gosh, I got to take this person back out to dinner. If somebody gives us a gift, what's the first thing that tends to run through our mind? Uh, well, we got to figure out a gift to get them back. I mean, right? And so we have this notion of reciprocity when it comes to hospitality. But when it comes to hospitality in God's kingdom, God says that you cannot allow culture to define your standard or definition of hospitality. Instead, I would advance to you this morning, church, that we need to be motivated by the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ when it comes to our hospitality. Because the fundam fundamental tenet of the gospel is this, that I owe a debt that I can never repay. God has given me freely His gift of grace, a gift that cost Him everything, His Son literally dying on a cross, and I freely receive that gift without ever owing anything back. And what's more, God has done that gladly out of love for each and every one of us. And I would assert to you this morning, church, that if you're sitting here this morning and you truly understand what the Gospel is and what the Gospel means, that it should shatter our whole idea of how we invest our lives in others for any type of thought of return back to us. God poured Himself out when we could not pay Him back. How is it possible that as Christ followers we could get that idea and ever think again about using my stuff, leveraging my life 
for the primary purpose of getting something back from other people in a sense that's greedy or selfish. How could someone who recognizes that Jesus has invited us through the gift of the Calvary, the cross, His Son, His blood poured out for us, how could us who have received that and understand that we will be invited as somebody who was unworthy into God's eternal party ever act selfishly in our hospitality towards others? It's inconceivable, church. It's inconceivable. In fact, I would suggest to you that if you're examining your heart right at this moment and you're finding that, man, I, I, I exist in a place where I'm continually practicing hospitality that is habitually selfish or habitually exclusive to others, I would tell you this morning, church, that you don't understand the Gospel. Christ-centered hospitality is motivated by a desire to love and serve others because Jesus did that for us. God lavishly poured out His love for us. And so we lavishly give back to everyone else. And so my question this morning for you is this. Are you practicing biblical hospitality? Because what Jesus is actually talking about in this parable in Luke 14, in this commandment in Luke 14, is the practice of asking or inviting outsiders to become insiders. He's inviting us, he's commanding us to invite outsiders to become insiders. And I love how Pastor Scott Commodore describes this idea of biblical hospitality. He says this, Hospitality is an offer to extend the privileges of community to those who have no standing to expect it, especially those who are vulnerable because they are strangers. So perhaps the better question is not this morning, church, are you practicing biblical hospitality? But the better question is, are you inviting outsiders to be insiders in your home? Because in Jesus' day, the outsiders were the lame, the crippled, the poor, the blind. They were the dregs of society who existed outside of the periphery of their community. And it's true that for us today, they too may also be outsiders for us. But also in our community, the outsiders might be that lonely neighbor who lives down the street. A senior citizen living alone in a retirement home. A single mother who's struggling to get by. Or someone who has special needs that we struggle to love. Those are the outsiders that Jesus is inviting, indeed commanding each of us to bring in and be insiders within our community. In fact, this word hospitality in the Bible literally means welcome the stranger. That's literally what it means. Welcome the stranger. And so fellowship is when you hang out with your Christian friends. That's fellowship. When I hang out and entertain my Christian friends, that's fellowship. But hospitality is when I invite outsiders to come hang with my friends so that they become friends as well. It's inviting the outsider to come in and be an insider in our community. And this idea of hospitality, this inviting of others into our communities, is woven throughout the entirety of Scripture. In the book of Leviticus, we see that the people of Israel were repeatedly commanded over and over again to take in the outsider, the foreigner, into their home. And for these ancient Jews, hospitality was more than just a meal. Indeed, it was central to their identity as people of God. 
And so in Leviticus 19, God tells the Israeli people, treat the foreigner as your native born. Love them as you love yourself, for you were once foreigners in Egypt. And in Deuteronomy, he commands the Israeli people to love the stranger because you were strangers in Egypt. And then we not only see that in the Old Testament, but of course we see that in the New, don't we? If you uh, examine or take any time to examine the life of Christ, look at who Jesus hung out with the most. It wasn't the religious people. Jesus was actually accused of hanging out with the prostitutes and the sinners and the tax collectors because that's where he spent his time with the outsider. And he didn't do that necessarily because he had more in common in that moment with the outsider. But he did it because that's the way our God is. And because our God wants to move people from the outside and bring them to the inside and offer salvation and healing for whatever they are in life. And Jesus demonstrates that over and over again in the Gospels. And lest you think that I'm being hard on you, let me also remind myself and Jason this morning that hospitality, biblical hospitality, is required of pastors. We can find that command in places like 1 Timothy 3 or Titus 1. We also see in places like Romans 16 where Paul commands all Christians to practice hospitality. And in 1 Peter 4.9, he actually builds upon Paul's command. And he says, not only are you commanded to practice biblical hospitality, but get this, he says you're supposed to do it with a cheerful heart. Oof. Jesus, help us to practice that kind of hospitality. I will say this as I close. Church, this morning, if you want to get the attention of your culture, if you want to get people to begin talking about what's happening here at Mosaic Church, about what God is doing in your life, practice biblical hospitality. Practice biblical hospitality. In fact, just practice being a community to other people if you can't take that next step. In his book, Bowling Alone, a Harvard professor actually chronicles the de decline of hospitality in our culture over these last few decades. And the whole premise of this book, which is actually really kind of sad, is that bowling leagues are actually dying out because people are just bowling by themselves. Like they go to the movies by themselves. And so he goes on to chronicle as well that um, not only is it the bowling leagues, it's that people are playing cards 25% less, that our, the number of bars that exist is, uh, where people congregate is down 40% that restaurants where people actually sit down and have meals and break bread together is down 25%, and that having friends over to your home is down 45%. And I will say this, church, this was pre-COVID. So just imagine for a moment now the amount of loneliness, separation, and lack of community that people find themselves in today. The simple act of inviting guests into your life today is countercultural. But when we purposely seek to move outsiders to become insiders in our community, church, that is revolutionary. Some of you may be thinking, and I've known Christians, man, I'll be countercultural if I just slap a Christian fish on the back of my car, or I wear a Jesus bracelet, or I don't drink beer or whatever, which in Wisconsin that is pretty countercultural, so but that's beside the point. Um, they think that they have these ideas of how I'm going to live counterculture will be revolutionary in my, in my culture for Jesus. But I would say this, church, if you want to be revolutionary for Jesus, 
begin practicing inviting people into your home that can't pay you back. If you want to be revolutionary for Jesus in our community, begin inviting outsiders to become insiders in your home. And if you want to be revolutionary for Christ, be motivated by a desire to love and serve others without any thought of return. And if we do that church, if we grab that thought and begin to move forward and practice that in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our places of work, our communities, this church, God will use you, your hospitality, to change the world. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.